I'm going to put up an image of a guy that I've referred to before in a sermon. He's actually referred to as the Unipiper. He's a guy that rides around on a unicycle in Portland playing music on his bagpipes and blowing fire out of the bagpipes, generally dressed as some other character. In this case, you can see it's Darth Vader. You're probably wondering what that has to do with Easter. Well, I'm getting there. Stay with me, okay? When people go to Portland for the first time and experience this guy, their first thought, like yours probably was, was, what is that all about? What's going on there? I think that's what people think when it comes to Easter. They innately know that there's more to Easter than trying to explode your peeps in the microwave or dying by consuming too much chocolate or wearing fancy dresses and bonnets and having brunch. They know there's something more to it, but they they think to themselves, but what's it really all about? Well, hopefully my message will go a long way in answering that question today. It's a message I've entitled, The New Normal, Easter Every Day, and Hallelujah Anyway. (coughs) Excuse me. I do love my titles, okay? Let's start with The New Normal. Think of all the things in your life, think of all the things in other people's lives even, that used to be considered normal and are no longer thought of in those terms. I am a child of the 70s and early 80s. I grew up then. It was normal to ride around in cars that had metal dashboards and no seat belts. They had seat belts, but nobody wore them. They slid under the seats, okay? And your only seat belt was your mom or your dad going, watch out, and going, whap, across your chest, okay? That was your only seat belt. And if they didn't do that, you just dorked your head against the, you know? You can usually tell a person that grew up in the 70s because there's a mark right about here on their head. It's kind of like a permanent small dent. That was normal. Or a few decades before that, it was normal to take vacations to the Las Vegas area, but one of the main attractions at the time was to go view nuclear bombs being exploded. I'm going to put up an image I have of that while I get a drink of water. Look at this family. Yeah, there you go. That was actually normal, okay? Their children probably weren't. But it was normal, all right? But then a new normal came along, and now we have three-point seat belts, and we have airbags instead of metal dashes. And by and large, most of us try to take our family vacations as far away from radiation (laughs) as we possibly can. Easter at its core was this disruptive event in history, a moment when the normal way of processing life got obliterated and a new normal was introduced. Let me read for you out of the book of Matthew. It's one of the stories, one of the accounts of Easter that's found in the Bible. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. He's on the cross here. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two, which we sang about earlier, from top to bottom. The earth shook, so there's an earthquake. Rocks split. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Okay, just put a little, just put that thought in your mind. Now let's skip over They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection, went into the holy city, Jerusalem, and appeared to many people. Interesting, okay? Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Now we're skipping to the part where Jesus had actually been resurrected too. He says, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. And then skipping down. Here we go. Next slide. Is there a next slide? Oh, there's not a next slide. Okay, we'll stop there. That's good enough, all right? So, Easter morning. You've got to picture this. When you read through the scriptures, this is what Easter morning is. There's a bunch of people. 
that it had been dead for quite a while, and they were now walking around the city. There were shiny, angelic beings, angels if you want to call them that, that were rolling away huge stones from cave-like tombs. There were earthquakes happening, and Jesus himself, when you read through the Bible, Jesus himself had now been resurrected from the dead and was just appearing to different people. It was like he was being beamed into situations like some scene out of Star Trek. There was nothing normal about that first day. It was a very disruptive moment. Nothing would ever be the same again. And a new normal was being introduced, and that new normal centered around this truth. Jesus is alive again. Jesus is alive. This new normal seemed crazy and scary to people at first. When Jesus appeared to some of his closest friends and followers, Scripture records that they didn't recognize him at first. Some of the people thought he was a gardener at the tombs. They didn't recognize him because they were so freaked out, they couldn't even believe what their eyes were seeing. Look what the book of Mark, and, and scholars think that the original book of Mark had this as an ending. I'll put this up. This is Mark chapter 16, verse 8. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tombs. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. That's what they think the book ended. So basically the book of Mark ends like this. Jesus rose from the dead and we're really freaked out. The end. That's how they think it ended, okay? Because that's how life goes. When we're introduced to new concepts and truths and ideas and experiences, as human beings, our initial response is generally to go all chicken little and freak out. That's what we do, okay? Because we like the old normal. It feels safe. The new normal scares us. But that's what Easter is all about. Jesus died. That's normal. Death was a, a normal occurrence back then. It still is today. Jesus rose from the dead. Whoa, that's not normal, okay? I've been to a lot of funerals. It's not normal for someone to rise from the dead, okay? This was newsworthy stuff. This was a new normal. Now, when most people think of Jesus, and perhaps even some of you, they usually conjure up this image of a Swedish hippie that lived a long time ago, and really nice person, great teacher, pulled off a couple of cool miracles. But other than that, he was just a historical figure in the same vein as Nixon or Napoleon or Elvis, something like that. They believed Jesus existed, but they struggled to believe he still exists, that he's alive today, that he's a present tense reality. I was not raised in a Christian family. I know you probably think most pastors come from these perfect families. <laughs> not so much, okay? And I was not raised as a Christian. And some of you weren't. And you probably had a similar experience where you run into a believer for the first time, someone that labels themselves a Jesus follower. And they say something like, I love Jesus so much. I'm so aware of his presence with me. He speaks these great truths to me all the time. And if you're like me, your initial response in your head, you wouldn't say it out loud, was, oh yeah, you're crazy. You are, somebody called the rubber truck, we need to haul this person away, okay? You're crazy. You're probably going to tell me you're going swimming with the Loch Ness Monster over spring break or something like that next. You just thought they were nuts. It's okay to admit that was your response. You're actually in really good company, okay? Because many of Jesus' closest friends didn't accept the fact that he'd been raised from the dead at first. They rejected the new normal too. But just like the early followers of Jesus, you're going to have these moments in your life, these moments of emotional and spiritual upheaval 
that convince you that, hey, this new normal, this Jesus being alive thing, there might be something to it. This actually might be true. All right? I'll give you examples from a couple other people's lives. I told um, some people in the church about this woman named Jean. She grew up in the United Kingdom in London, and she had a horrible upbringing. Her family was so dysfunctional, it was just a grease fire, and it was horrible. And then she ended up, as soon as she could, running away from home and living on the streets, got way into prostitution and, and drug addiction. And in her early 20s, she just thought, I can't do this. I cannot live in this world anymore. So she went up to the top of a really tall building up a fire escape in, in northern London, and she was planning just to end it all. She was going to kill herself. But she got up there, and it was a remarkably clear night, and she looked up at the stars, and she said, I haven't seen the stars this clearly and this close since I was a little kid. And in that moment, something changed, and she said, I didn't want to kill myself. And then look what she says in her own words. I shared this with some of you. I suddenly felt as if I was in this massive womb about to be born. Something was looking after me. And then how about Francis Buford? He's one of my favorite authors. And he has this moment with the divine also, and he struggles to put it into words, but I think he does a fairly good job. He says this in this moment he had with God. Someone, not something, is here. And he was freaked out. Though it is on a scale that defeats imagining and exists without location. I am being looked at. I am being known. I am being seen from the inside. Oh, these moments when you feel like you're stepping into something new, when you feel like something or someone is watching out after you, when you feel like you're, you're being known, you're being seen from the inside, when you have moments like that, all I can say to you is, welcome to Jesus, welcome to the new normal. It's scary at first, but it's the new normal. The ancient Hopi people in America, they have this great tradition. They're, they would have these masked holy people. They were called kachinas. And once a year during the harvest time, they would come in and, and say a blessing over the harvest. And then they would give all the little kids toys, kind of their version of Santa Claus, really, when you think about it. But once a year, the tradition would be different for some of the older kids. They would gather the older kids into the sacred circle, and the kachinas would march in. And the kids are all expecting, oh, they're going to give us toys. But instead of that, once all the kachinas get there, they rip their mask off, and to the kids' shock and surprise, they find out that the holy people are their parents and relatives and neighbors. The kachinas get unmasked, and they love it because they're thinking, wait a minute, these holy people that cared so much about me are always giving me stuff, always saying blessings over my life, are my parents, my neighbors, my uncles, my aunts? That is so cool. Easter is when the mask gets ripped off of the historical Jesus. And all of a sudden, the real Jesus, the present tense Jesus, looks at us and says, surprise, I'm not who you thought I was. I'm not just a distant figure in the past. I'm here, I'm with you, I love you, I'm real. And i got to be honest with you, we're all experiencing the risen, present tense Jesus in countless ways every single day. We're probably just not aware of it. Let me give you some examples. Most of you have been in a large group setting, like today, okay? But maybe it's different. Maybe it's with a bunch of people you don't know, not necessarily in a church. Maybe it's at a concert. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the concert, this happened to me several times, you feel this very deep and very real connection with these people, yet you don't know them. You feel this sense of oneness. I believe that sense of oneness is Jesus at work. 
Or maybe you've experienced this. You've been in crazy amounts of pain in your life. Crazy amounts of pain. You literally don't know how you're going to make it through. You just think that this, you, you feel like you're sinking into it. And it's going to overwhelm you and overcome you. And suddenly there's this presence or voice or whatever you want to call it, assuring you that you're going to have the strength to bear the unbearable. You know you're going to make it through in that moment, and you know somehow you won't be alone. That sense, that voice that tells you you're going to make it through, I believe that to be Jesus. Or maybe you've had this experience. We've probably, many of us have been here. You get a new job, and in your excitement, you think, I've got money for the first time, so what am I going to do? I'm totally blowing it. And so you buy stuff. You buy new clothes. You buy a new car. You buy a new house. You buy new everything. You even buy new presents for your friends and family. And at the end of all this acquisition, though these are good things, you think to yourself, you have this like craving and this longing. There's got to be more to my life than this. You have this craving and longing for more than your eyes can see and your hands can hold. That craving, that longing, I believe that to be Jesus. Easter is this crazy cool invitation to jump into the deep end of the pool, into the scary waters of faith. And it's terrifying. And it's terrific all at the same time. It's the new normal. It's kind of like being kissed for the first time by someone outside your family. That doesn't count, okay? So you can study all you want to know about kissing. You can know all the biological, physiological facts about kissing. You can watch TV and movies and, and that depict people kissing. You can collect art like this is one of my favorite posters of a famous kiss in World War II. You can have that hanging all over your house. But nothing compares to actually being kissed, right? Because once you experience that, your life becomes a constant process of trying to repeat the performance, right? Which basically describes high school for me. So I'm sorry, honey. They meant nothing to me, just to let you know that, okay? Um, once you've stepped into the new normal, once you've encountered and experienced Experience the living, present tense Jesus, i got to warn you, the old normal won't cut it anymore. The old normal of just knowing some facts about Jesus or considering him a historical figure, it just won't do. Alright? Second, let's move on to every day. Easter is every day. Most people think Easter was a one-time experience. Yeah, not really so much. Easter is really an everyday occurrence. Let's look out of the book of John, just a few verses I want to read for us. Very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus talking, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these. Wow. Okay, let's move on to the next verse. It's out of the book of John 2. You did not choose me, again, Jesus talking, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Good deeds, okay? Fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. We are invited by Jesus to breathe life into situations of death and despair. We're invited by Jesus to overcome evil with good, to overcome hatred with love. Easter is a verb. It's not just a one-time event we recall and celebrate once a year. It's actually a daily occurrence that we get to participate in. give you some examples of that. Um, there's a guy in L.A. He just crossed over from addiction into sobriety, but he was very new to that world. And a friend of his that had been sober for five years, so you got to come to this AA meeting with me. The AA meeting was in inner city LA, and I've been in this particular neighborhood, and it is rough. It is rough. 
And the meeting was inside this kind of old building in an upper room up this very narrow staircase. So he goes, I'm walking up this room, and it's for guys only, and there's a group full of guys, and it's a mob scene. They're kind of pushing me up the stairs. But the guy directly in front of me, sorry to be so graphic about this, the guy directly in front of me hadn't crossed over into sobriety yet, and he was fairly inebriated. And about halfway up the stairs, he just evacuated his bowels right in front of me. And he goes, the stench was so horrid. I was trying to turn around, but the mob scene was pushing me up the stairs, so I just had to keep walking, keep moving with my nose covered, my eyes watering. They get up to the top, the door flies open, and the greeter, the <laughs> greeter, you got to appreciate our greeters. They're so kind and nice. The greeter was this tattooed, burly biker dude. Really cool guy, but sober and had gone through addiction to sobriety. He opens the door, gets one whiff of this dude, and vomits all over the floor. So the guy is thinking, oh, this is great. My life is great right now. And he goes up in there, but here's where it gets beautiful. The volunteers at this particular meeting didn't even hesitate. They went to the greeter, the biker dude, and goes, come on, man, let's go to the bathroom. They helped clean him up. They mopped up the floor. And then they went to the inebriated guy and said, you're having a rough time. Let us help you. They took him next door. There's a halfway house next door got him undressed, popped him in the shower, washed his clothes, dried his clothes, gave him some new clothes so he could be a part of the meeting. They were amazing, okay? They were doing the most amazing things. They were showing mercy instead of judgment. They were showing radical inclusion instead of rejection. They were breathing life into a situation that reeked of death. Maybe some of you are part of this group, too. This is another great example. They're called Threshold Singers. I don't know if any of you are a Threshold Singer. If you are, I want to hug you after church, so come up and talk to me. Threshold Singers are musical people in cities all across the United States. And at request of families, they go and visit um, people that are on their last days that are terminally ill. They either visit them in their house or in hospice facilities or even the hospitals, and they sing to them. They spend an extended time singing to them, usually in quartets or small choirs. They bring death. I mean, they bring life into situations where only death had been thought of. That's what Jesus did, okay? Easter was Jesus bringing life where there was only death being talked about. That's what Easter still is. It's us breathing life into situations of death and despair through our acts of loving kindness towards other people. It's not just a day we celebrate. It's actually a lifestyle we get to live. I want you to think of Easter like that. Next Easter should not just be a holiday for us. It should actually be this raucous celebration as we recall all the goodness that we got to deliver to people around us. That's Easter. That's the spirit of Easter. And then I'll end with this. Hallelujah anyway. Let's put up Matthew 28.3. Look what this says. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. And this is talking about one of the angels that were at the tomb. The reason I put this scripture up here is there are four different accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all in those books. All of them use these particular words. They use light and white. And it's obvious that Easter is a bright and joyful event. And we need to remember this, okay, because... We live in a world where our circumstances can seem awfully dark and bleak at times. There are days, I don't know if, if this is true with you, it's probably true of most of us, there are days in my life where I didn't even want to get out of bed. Many days where I'm going, 
I don't want to face the safe. I do not want to get out of my bed because I'm afraid that something even worse is going to happen than happened the day before because Murphy's Law is taking place in my life and things are going from bad to worse. I literally felt like at times, at any moment, the dun-dun-dun of like this ominous horror movie music was going to start playing in my life because things just kept getting worse. There are days and weeks in your life, you can probably recall or you might recall in the future, where your most honest prayer, if you dared to pray it, would be something like, God, where are you? Where are you? Can you just show up and do something about the pain in my life? Because in case you haven't noticed, my situation's a bit of a suck fest going on right now. So please help me. That would be your most honest prayer, okay? And that's okay. I love how this one guy put it. He said this, I despair that my life, that my trip on this rock flowing, that's flying around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour is just some sort of sick cosmic joke. That's how we feel at times. Our situations can be that bleak. And those dark times can get even darker because the people that you count on to get you through the dark times, sometimes they just vanish when you need them the most. You look around and they're nowhere to be found. In fact, they're purposely distancing themselves from you because they see the pain you're in and, you're go- and they're thinking, I don't want any of that to get on me, so I'm going to keep my distance from you. That's really helpful, okay? One very famous guy, I can't tell you who it is, but um, you would know him. Um, he recalled the darkest moment in his life, and it was when he was 10 years old, his family's home tragically burnt to the ground. And the worst thing about it was his 7-year-old sister died in the fire. It was the darkest, most bleak moment of his life. And the person that he and his family were counting on to help him through the darkness, the leader of their local faith community, showed up at their house, walked in, and the first thing he said to the parents was, well, you're going to make a financial contribution in the name of your daughter to our faith community, right? That's the first thing he did. And this famous person in the understatement of the decade wrote this, that was not terribly helpful. <laughs> you think? So the darkness sometimes gets even darker because you're just sure you're going to have to face it alone. Plus, you want to flip off the preacher, and that can't be good, right? In this moment, in those moments, it's very important to remember the brightness of Easter, the light of Jesus. The gloomy times don't get to define us. There's a, an old gospel spiritual, and I love the words to it. It says this, we have to lift our voices and say, hallelujah anyway. I love that. I absolutely love those lyrics because it's saying no matter how dark our circumstances are, we can still sing hallelujah anyway. And let me tell you why you can sing hallelujah anyway, but I want to start it with showing you a cartoon. This is a cartoon of two dogs talking, and I'm a huge dog person. It says this, it's not enough that we succeed. Cast cats must also fail. <laughs> That's what it says. And I love that cartoon, not just because I love dogs, but Easter to me, it's like Jesus is saying to us, it's not just enough that I tell you I love you, because he does that. He speaks to us, that to us all the time and all through Scripture. It's not just enough I tell you I love you. Death must also fail. That's what he did on the first Easter morning. He defeated death. He rose from the dead. And now we can be assured that with his spirit living in us, we'll have a repeat performance and we will also eject out of the grave. Death is nothing more than a comma for us. It's not a period. 
I grew up in Pleasant Hill and graduated from Pleasant Hill High School. And one of the weirdest classes I ever had out there was a history class. And they took us, oh, cool, lights went out. Um, um, there was a history class. And they took us to the cemetery out in Pleasant Hill, which is a really old cemetery. You should go there sometime. Um, just soup. I don't know why I just said that, actually. Um, don't go there. It's kind of creepy, okay? But I went there for a class, and I'm walking around, and we have to chart out some of the dates of all the, um, the pioneer tombstones and everything. And I, I'm my, by myself, and I got my little chart, and I stepped almost right on top of this one, and it's a tombstone that's just buried in the ground like a plaque. And it says the guy's name, and I'm standing on the grave, because I realize, because that's at the head of it, and it says, I once was where you are now, you will be where I am now. And I thought, oh, thank you very much, Mr. Creepy Creeperson. And I stepped off without, kind of glad you're dead. <laughs> okay, <laughs> okay. Jesus says something beautiful to us, not creepy. He says, yeah, you will be where I am now. Alive after death. Yeah. So take that, Mr. Creepy Guy. Okay? So, now we know that Jesus defeated death, the darkest thing of all. And we can have confidence that he will defeat any other dark circumstances or situations in our life. He'll either get us out of them miraculously, which doesn't happen that often, or most likely he will get us through them. One of my favorite preachers says it the best. She sums up Easter perfectly to me. I love this. I'll read this for you because it's pretty small font. Singing in the midst of evil is what it means to be disciples. To sing to God amidst sorrow is to defiantly proclaim that death is not the final word. To defiantly say once again that a light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot, will not, shall not overcome it. And so, evil be damned, because even as we go to the grave, we still make our song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. We can say, Hallelujah again. Yeah, that is so great. I, wanna, I just want to end with that, because to me, Easter is like putting on new glasses, glasses that help us view our circumstances, our life, and our future in a much different light, in a much brighter hue. I'm going to call the band up right now. We're going to end with, they're going to sing a song for you. I want to pray for us. They're, they're going to sing a song that's like a present to all of us. It's such a cool song, and it celebrates all of what Easter is really about. But let me pray for us as they're coming in and preparing to sing this for us. Lord, please lead us into the new normal. You are alive, Jesus. You are a present tense reality. May we encounter you and be aware of your presence with us every day. Wake us up to that new normal, Lord. And Lord, please use us to bring Easter to people all around us every day, to breathe life into situations of sorrow and death and despair and depression, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Use our works of kindness to breathe life. And Lord, lastly, remind us that the gloomy times don't get to define us. We can sing in the midst of evil, Lord, and in the midst of sorrow, because your light will never be overcome by darkness or death. We can say with all assurance, hallelujah, anyway. We love you, Lord, and thank you for this holy, holy day.